Then he goes to space, and then he has a couple of films with. Freddy he Krueger. goes to space. <laughs> oh, he goes to sorry, space. Sorry, sorry, I missed that. Hello and welcome to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies, the podcast that knows what you did last summer and quite frankly thinks you could have done better. Joining me, as always, is the man that could be best described as the annoying one in most horror films, Sean Ferrick. I am usually the first to die, unless it's a Drew Goddard Cabin in the Woods situation, in which case I might make it to the end. Yeah, either way, he dies a lot later than you hope he will. Um, and, and joining us... Ouch. Ouch! And joining us, as always, for the month of October, is the man that has more saucy summer camp stories than Sean Ferrick has had insulting introductions. <gasps> it's Albert Hogan! <laughs> this one time at band camp. Uh, um, you know. The less said about the trombone, the better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did go to music I did go to music camp every summer, so that is... I genuinely did you actually? Stories. Yes. Tell us more. Let's scrap the podcast and please let's talk about that instead. <laughs> Yay! The flute uh, went I think, where? I think that might be a um, an after dark version that we do for um, a different type of podcast, shall we say? <laughs> is this a podcast that is only listened to by me and Sean, and that's it? No one else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's is this just a Zoom call? <laughs> it's just a Zoom call. <laughs> we we actually have had Zoom calls that have gone pretty much like that. <laughs> right. True. So. Usually I try and keep the introduction as close to the film we're talking about as possible. This week I gave up because I didn't like this film and I couldn't find much funny things to say about it. Hate me, Twitter. Hate me, horror universe. That's fine. I'm going to jump in here. So we, we were just talking just before the podcast. Listen, Friday the 13th is by no means the greatest film uh, ever made. Uh, it has... Very dedicated fans, and I've watched a lot of the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. I've watched the documentaries. It's interesting, but I like to think Friday is interesting as a franchise, totally as opposed agree. to absolutely a film. Yeah, I I love Jason Voorhees as a character, as a as a Halloween franchise. Yes, but this film in particular, I just it I don't like it. Um, there was. Kind of skipping nearly to the end of my notes. This is not going to be linear in any way, right? Um, so there is a reviewer I discovered half an hour ago called Devin, uh, I think it's Faraci or F-A-R-A-C-I. So Devin, if you are listening, I apologize if I've got your name wrong there. And he is basically writes long, long posts about the Friday series, about individual films. And he actually made a really, really, really good point. So take it as a given straight away that writer Victor Miller and director Sean S. Cunningham, they knew what they were doing here. They knew they weren't going to make the next Psycho. They knew they weren't making the next tentpole film. They were capitalizing on the success of Halloween. They were uh, kind of capitalizing on Carrie a little bit. And the, this, this guy, Devin, he makes the point of knowing that this is not a great film it stood the test of time again as a franchise a little bit better because you didn't have the first great film and all the terrible sequels that followed you just had a solid enough franchise where you really like i would struggle to pick one that would be like the best of the bunch certainly some are 
worse. But there isn't any that's like, oh yeah, and they hit their peak with Friday 5. Yeah, that's a fascinating thought. Um, because I don't know how you can have a good franchise without a good movie in it. But, well, yeah. So, Freddy... Uh, sorry, Freddy. Damn it. Friday the, Freddy the 13th. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's 1980, so it, really, it kicks off the 80s. So, as a podcast, we've kind of wrapped up the 70s now. Um, closing thoughts on, on the films that we covered... I mean, we haven't obviously done all of them, but we, we hit some we hit some big ones that are super 70s, Albert. What was your... Well, I know what your favourite was, but going into this, you hadn't watched any horror from the 70s. What, what's your closing thoughts on the decade? Um, well, it was obviously a decade of firsts, and I think it was quite interesting that, you know, a lot of the filmmaking, again, thinking about it in its time, would have been quite um, revolutionary. Um, you know, the likes of The Exorcist or even Halloween, um, you know, definitely set the tone for the decades that followed. I think the thing that surprised me most was the lack of gore. I was expecting lots more yeah. blood and gore. And actually, a lot of it is implied or it's done off screen, um, which is definitely not the case in this film. Which So strangely, I enjoyed uh, with Friday the 13th that I finally get to see some of that stuff that, <laughs> you know, I have been expecting over the last few weeks. We have ruined you as a person. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't uh, expecting you to look forward to gore. And there's there's a fair amount in Friday. There is. And actually, of all the films I've watched so far, it's given me the most jump scares because, you know, that's pretty yeah. much what it's there to do. No, I'd agree. But, but I think, yeah, the, the 70s, um, fascinating decade. It was interesting to see the just the variety of films we've watched up to this point and the kind of... Um, where things align with each other. So something like The Exorcist and The Omen are very much of one type of film. And then you have the kind of utterly bizarre, like Texas Chainsaw, which is you know, more <laughs> of a dark comedy than a horror, really, I think. It really is. Um, yeah. And then yeah, you've got... You both. I love that you see a comedy in Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> I love Texas it. Chainsaw is a comedy. It's, it's hard <laughs> not, not to see comedy. It's hard not to see comedy. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think going into the 80s, I'm expecting it to be sort of more familiar to the horror that I know of today. Uh, definitely more blood and gore because audiences were becoming a bit desensitised to the sort of anticipation piece that had been in a lot of those 70 films. So that's sort of where I'm expecting it to go. Friday the 13th definitely hit that mark in terms of, you know, here are many interesting ways in which we can kill teenagers. Um, and, you know, you can see how it's built on the 70s and takes, you know, takes horror forward into the next decade um so yeah so they'd be my thoughts i think on um what we've watched so far going into the 80s what, what about you sean as, as the horror veteran of the three of us did you learn anything new say what you're thinking as the fucked up one of the three of us <laughs> yeah but that's got nothing to do with horror films <laughs> yeah that's true yeah finally this is a thing that i can actually speak about and yeah that's just know, general notes um i yeah, because if we think back on the film, so we watched Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw, Amityville, and Halloween were our four that we picked from the 70s. And The Omen, sorry, yeah. of course, the five that we picked from the 70s. Um, it's a fairly wide open field of what is shown, what is implied, what kind of sub-genre they go into. Um, and I think with knowing the films that we have coming up in the 80s, I will say that of... I feel there was a greater variety in horror 
in the 70s than there was in the 80s and i might i i will happily take that statement back now if we if we go through films that completely challenge that but i feel that because of what was happening in the world in the 70s it was a a grim place life was life was bloody hard and i think that is reflected an awful lot in the films of the time and that's not just horror but certainly in the context of what we are talking about here in the 80s depending on where you were life got a little bit better life got a little bit easier not so much in the uk i believe they you know defined what a recession is um yeah we're still waiting for the decade where we can say things got better <laughs> yeah kind of like in ireland we had kind of late 90s to early 2000s that's it that is that is our prosperous period mm. after that nothing before nothing after um and in in the 80s they kind of you drop a little bit of the nuance that I think was so prevalent in a lot of the 70s flicks. Um, I And some of that is because of the rise in gore, you know, and the rise in what audiences could take. Well, it's what they um, could technically get away with as well. So there's that the too, 70s, you're, you're right. There, there was a technical limitation of that looks like ketchup and we can't really put a machete in someone's head because we haven't got... We're not there with the prosthetics. I don't really think Friday does a particularly good job, but it tries. So you can it, see the early development there. It does. Uh, and actually, the, the special effects maestro on this film is Tom Savini. Now, I I disagree with you to a point. I think it does a bloody good job. Not every one of them mm. are great. No, agreed. Yeah. For sure. Like, absolutely. There, There's one or two where I'm just like, ah, guys. But then there's other ones where I'm just like, you know what, fair. And keeping in mind, everything in this film is done practically. You know, there is yes. no such thing as, you know, kind of a computer, yeah. computer generated They're punching effects. for it. Instead of, like, yeah. disappearing and making it implied, they are showing some stuff because they've tried to use some makeup. And maybe that's, maybe that's it. They, the 70s didn't have that option, so it had to be more subtle. Whereas I the 80s like, is punching for something. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to show some holes, isn't it? And that's it, actually. And this is where I'm going to turn it over to you, Ian, because I would love to hear your thoughts, obviously, on the 70s as well. But even in Friday, where we have this very, like, on-screen, someone's getting their throat cut, and, you know, you get this and you get that, whereas, you know, you have Texas where, wait, did I see anything? <laughs> you know? So no. <laughs> maybe jumping off from there, what are, what are your feelings on, say, the 70s from what, what we've just finished rewatching. So, as the only person that wasn't present at the time, um, I think I can provide a unique. <laughs> I'm definitely going to attach the video to this. Um, I can provide a unique kind of take on on seventies horror. Uh, so, I am pleasantly surprised. I was expecting it to be um, a bit shit, to be honest. Um, I was expecting it to be. I was expecting the lack of prosthetics and the lack of balls that we're used to now for example like the Saw franchise the balls on it is just it shows everything and does it does it quite well um I thought the 70s is just going to be too limited but it has now got my favorite two horror films in it I always loved Halloween but The Exorcist and The Omen I've, I've re-watched The Omen since we've recorded just just to watch it that film is on another level um I think it lent into religion a lot more than I thought, because I thought that would be a bit taboo, actually. So it was a pleasant surprise that they weren't afraid to use that as... 
their theme to, like, to varying degrees, whether they're the, the goodies or the bad guys or whether they're just neutral. Um, it, it seems like it's the Catholic Church in particular is a central theme of a lot of uh, a lot of these films. Um, and just the scores, they just really thought about themes and scoring and the impact that can have on your on your film. Um, so yeah, just super, super pleasantly surprised, and I'm a little bit worried about the 80s. <laughs> um, different kettle of fish. Yeah. Different kettle of fish. Still some, like, we, we selected what we're watching for, for the terms of this podcast, but the 80s is a very strange time in terms of film because you had the rise in computer-generated effects, um, which changed the game, really, in in film. Um, I mean, just keeping it keeping it on brand for the three of us, you had Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and you had the Genesis Wave. Is it the sexiest piece of CGI ever created? Yes. Yes, yes, yes it, is. it is, wholeheartedly, yes. 100%. That has never been topped by any. Um, <laughs> nope. But in in that decade alone, and on a greater scale, this is represented in technology itself. Look at the Genesis wave. Look at the Praxis effect, oh, and that yeah. was nineteen ninety one. Yeah. So th- just what went into these ten years? Now, oddly enough, the, the and and I'll stop talking about what's coming up, and I'll come back to Friday in a moment. But in in the films that we've selected, there isn't a heavy amount of cgi because i will my new favorite phrase is ride or die i am ride or die practical effects when it comes yeah. to horror go practical oh, just effects. everything like this is to keep on the star trek theme i miss actual models um even discovery discovery is cgi voyager i think is a good balance because they did use a physical model but a lot of it was cgi um but the 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 scope that you get of a physical model and recording that compared to a CGI ship that's a bit cartoony, oh, you just can't match it. And you're right, physical effects in horror is exactly the same. I think the other thing that's interesting to think about when you get into the 80s is sort of the rise of capitalism and the fact that a lot of the major studios were becoming the studios that we sort of know today. Um, And obviously the 70s gave you those real first blockbusters. And so there's a lot more commercial uh mindset we need a franchise behind... we need a franchise yeah yeah there's a lot more of that you know and chasing money in the 80s in society in general um so it's interesting to see how you know some of the 70s films did spawn franchises um but there's a lot more focus from the even just from friday but also i imagine on some of the other films we're going to see on the the kind of bad guy as a character and how they can carry on um so you know again how much of that is genuine creativity and how much of it is commercial um imperatives from the studio as well so i think it's it's um something as well you know alongside the kind of practical filmmaking element there's also the sort of behind the scenes of the studio the pressures that filmmakers would have been under were quite different um so yeah so it's interesting how that will shape up and as more and more studios kind of, you know, a lot of independents were being bought up. Um, there was a lot of mergers in the eighties. You're starting to um, get a different sort of playing field of studios and they're all trying to diversify their portfolio. So where before they might've been recognized for like one type of film, they're actually trying to broaden that out now. So that's why there's probably more room for, for horror in, in the eighties as well. 
Oh, that's a really, really good point, and it's a bit sad. It's a, I mean, there's no doubt that it brought out some incredible cinema, but it's a bit sad that did we lose something? Um, did kind of lose the little independent film that didn't need to. What it had to make money, but it didn't have the pressures of you've got to have A, B, and C in your film, or else you're not gonna. It's not gonna see the light of day. Um, it might be. I was thinking that the 70s was going to be more prudy. It might be the going forwards. The 80s and 90s had to be more prudy because, no, 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 we can't upset the church. No, 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 no. There's certain things that we, 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 have, to, we have to keep people on side and, and happy. We can't push the boundaries too much. Yeah, and that's the... Investors investing. That, yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing I think my observation from the 70s films were they were quite creative in their marketing. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think moving into the 80s, it'll be much more just like advertising rather than marketing. So it's just, yeah. it's it's a different sort of landscape completely. So some of that kind of creativity and mystery and some of the, um, you know, like some of the 70s films were like, this is based on a true story, which wasn't actually true. Or, you know, it, was, it <laughs> doesn't it, matter, does it? <laughs> yeah. Whereas in the 80s, it's much more on... Um, and this is generally in film, it's much more on the trailer, the visuals, the, the star quality, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so again, I'll be interested to see how that shift happens over the next few films we watch. So starting with probably, I'm getting, no, I'm going to sound like such a knob, but the weakest entry, because I have seen the films that we're going to watch, I've seen all but one of them. Um, and this I've seen a few times. Uh, so it's fascinating to me that Jason Voorhees, the poster child for Friday the 13th, doesn't appear in this movie until the last 20, well, the last five minutes. He doesn't Actually, even, no, even, go on. Even better, Jason Voorhees does not appear in this film until Saturday the 14th. Yes. <laughs> Which I love, true. I love that I love so it. much. Uh, and it also, the, the famous hockey mask doesn't appear until Friday the 13th 3. 3, yeah. It's not even in the sequel. Sack for part 2. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. bonkers how synonymous that... I know those those um, films came out very quickly. I think it was 80, 81, 82 or up to 83. So, yeah, as long as I've been alive, he has had the, the hockey mask and whatnot. But it's it was quite disappointing the first Same time... Same for us, mate. Yeah, yeah, all of us. Yeah, I know. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Didn't need to yeah. sound so defensive about it if you're that confident. Yeah. Well, you know, just kind of if we were apparently born <laughs> in the 60s or something. You know. <laughs> so I remember the first time I watched this film, I didn't know that Jason wasn't in it. So the the oh, how old would I have been? 17, 16, something like that. Um, it's like basically two weeks ago. And I, it was disappointing that he's not in it. I was like, really? I'm like, it's... What, what do you think about the the mother as the as the antagonist? So I'm I'm quite fascinated by this because I hadn't made the connection with Jason and Friday the Thirteenth. It's you know I know who Jason Voorhees is roughly, but I don't really I didn't make that connection with the franchise. You know because Jason and Freddy and all these guys just sort yeah. of blend into one for me. I oh, was right. really I was really surprised by the ending um, and. Actually, I thought it was quite clever in a way. Um, and I wonder, I know that, you know, Jason comes back in the later films, but was that the original intention? I'm not sure. I think they, they it felt like he was almost like a footnote in the story and actually it was all about the mother. Yeah. Um, 
And so for me, I really enjoy that. I enjoyed the sort of, um, you know, the interesting twist on gender and evil, you know. Again, we'd seen bits of it in the 70s with like Reagan and the Exorcist, but really it's the spirit behind her. Um, whereas this was sort of uh, unexpected for me. And I was kind of like, oh, and there was no real foreshadowing. I know they kind of threw in a couple of red herrings along the way to try and make you think it's a man and it's this sort of thing. So actually when it turned out it was the mother, I was like, oh, okay, huh, that's, that's an cool. interesting twist. Yeah, yeah. So um, so it worked for me, but then I haven't seen any of the other films. So, you know, yeah, it, you and I know, I know, yeah, and I know that Jason goes on to be an iconic horror character. And um, so I'm interested to see what part two part three looked like um and actually i'm intrigued to watch on now because i know there's sort of that character coming but he's not in the first film so in yeah. a way i didn't i didn't feel cheated but obviously you did from the point of view of knowing what was coming and then realizing he actually wasn't in the film <laughs> i think you're right i think i the movie was probably spoiled for me by my own expectations um because it's he is a more so i, I love the idea of doing the the, the gender swap and it, it's not just a female, it is a mum. It's a housewife, for all intents and purposes. And she's even dressed very much like even a... a ni- well, she is dressed like a 1950s housewife. It's like when um, when Jason dies in 56, that's when she dies as, as a person, and she's now just vengeful mum. So I would love to have watched it without that in mind. Um, because if it had been a man, this film is basically Halloween. Because it's POV for a great chunk of it, um, not giving away the identity. Um, so it's almost like they had to have some kind of reveal at the end as to why were you hiding the identity of the, of the of the killer. I can't think of a good reason other than there's a reveal at the end. Yeah, and even when she revealed, like, oh, I'm Mrs. Voorhees, I was like, oh, Jason, he must be in the back of the van. <laughs> and that's just automatically where my brain went. It didn't occur to yes. me that actually, oh, hang on, she's the the evil person who's been going around killing these teenagers. So I thought, you know, again, it was actually quite well-crafted from, from my point of view as someone who was completely yeah. sort of naive to the whole thing. Like, in a way, uh, I love, I, I have to say, I, I'm totally on board. I love that it was uh, Mrs. Voorhees. I think, like that, I think I knew going in, I had just heard along the way before I saw this film for the first time that that's what the reveal was at the end and so because of that I wasn't disappointed and I thought it I thought it was done well because in a way the killer is both Mrs. Voorhees and Jason because yes you know you, you guess he killer pos- mommy killer yeah has he possessed her is that a thing no I I think in in just the context of this film alone, not not speak about the sequels now. Um, it's just I think you said it very well. She died the day he died, yeah. and whatever lives in her body now is a mashup of what's left of her and what's left of him, and just the pure anger and rage. Because all of these kills are totally senseless. Like there's no oh, reason whatsoever yeah. for any of these. These guys so, have got no, nothing, nothing to do. This, nothing to they're do not the same camp counsellors, yeah. you know, that were quote-unquote responsible for his drowning. Um, they're just, they're going off to get summer jobs, you know? They're just bumped off one by one. And that's a double-edged sword, lol, because <laughs> one, they're obviously, they're totally innocent, oh my god. But two, they are 
wafer thin characters. Yes. So you you just you just don't care, which is a shame. You know, in the same way that oh no, sorry, it, in the same vein but handled differently are the girls from Halloween. Yeah. You know, they 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 pair the number back so you get a little bit more time with them. Um you kind of feel it a little bit when Annie, poor old Annie gets her throat slashed. Um Linda's kill is just more of a this is fun. Um <laughs> so this uh, film makes the side characters in Halloween look like fully fleshed out Charles Dickens characters. Yeah. Uh, it made me have a new appreciation for for Halloween. It's not actually that bad in terms of the, the, the side people that get killed. This is way the thin, and I think that's my biggest biggest problem with the movie is I really I don't give a shit about a single person that died in this film. Other than Jason and the mother. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I actually found that some of the like I didn't couldn't quite figure out how many of them there actually were because they started yeah. to blend into each other a bit. Especially Which the guys is interestingly. That? Yeah, um, and so yeah, you do end up sort of, you know, when when Mrs. Voorhees arrives on screen, she is more, um, there is more character development in her first yes. 30 seconds than we got for any of the other characters in the entire film. Absolutely. Um, and again, I was, you know, thinking about, you know, the obvious references to Halloween here. I was like, oh, I wonder what the, is there a certain point where they're getting killed? Are they doing something to, to trigger the... The killer, and Got I was it. like, "Oh, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's they're being promiscuous and having sex and whatever." But actually, that doesn't hold true either. So, um, so while there's definite sort of influences there from Halloween, it's slightly is just a bit nonsensical in the way it approaches it. And really, the most important thing is the deaths themselves and how they happen, um, and that's almost the character moment right there. Um, it's like here is the killer finding inventive ways to to kill Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the that's, story that's quite... is the story's just a mechanic to show a cool death. It it yeah. is a little bit. I I think you get with um, I mean the I I struggle with some of the names. I think right Annie is the no not the first to die. The first to die are the two um the two council counselors in, in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, fifty eight. Y- a year yeah. after he dies. Um. I uh sorry to say I can't remember the guy's name. The one who he gets a knife to the gut. Off I don't screen. remember anybody's name at yeah. all. So, some I do, but again, more because they've been alluded to throughout. Uh, as opposed, to, no, there's nothing in this film that would make me go, "Oh, great, Alice, the final girl." Yeah, that is Alice. That's Grant, but that's because because this film has lasted in history so much. I know Alice is the final girl in Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, you know. I don't know. I, I will say this right now, and I'm about to lose all my cred as a podcast host, as a guy who's watched movies. I do not know what Kevin Bacon's character's name is in this film. <laughs> but he I is, just know he him as horny. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Horny horny man is horny. Oh, I mean, I, I, just, I, I just wrote down Bacon in bed. That's all I wrote down. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Such a um, one-track mind, Albert. Honestly, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> he is more yeah, than we, that. We tried to control him, but still, like, but still. <laughs> well, there was a um, bit of there was a bit of nudity in this, and I was like, oh, I wonder was this Bacon's first like proper nude scene? Because obviously, he goes on to do full frontal in several films after this. Um, so yeah, but it, it didn't happen. So there you go. <laughs> just yeah. Albert, just dis- disappointed. Albert is disappointed. 
<laughs> it was at this point Albert sat up and started to take note. No. Um, so the only the only character that I really really cared about was the first one because I thought she was really kooky. Was this, is she Marcy or Annie yeah. or so? I the don't one, know. The one who takes about <laughs> nine years to get close to Crystal Lake. Yeah, is that it? a little Miss Naivety. Um, yeah. D- yeah, I'll jump in your van and let's go. Um, and yeah. it. She's she is quirky because she's like relentlessly positive and she's really excited and she's going to be the cook and then she dies and then, but she is also a stunt woman really because that car is oh, doing about oh my ninety God, she should have broken her neck Absolutely. oh yeah that should have killed her alone yeah and she kind of limps and then forgets that she has a limp <laughs> that's yeah. it um, I mean and I, that I, is I, the one sorry I was just gonna say I, I was just gonna say I was straight away when she was getting into that truck and the guy helped her up by lifting her by the ass I was yeah, like turn really. around and go home go home girl <laughs> smack him right back out of that truck again yeah yeah. are they all gonna look uh, as pretty as you oh I don't know great yeah, and actually you're sitting there going like you know babe he is he, he is not just coming on to you he's done everything except take the handle off that door you know and <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh wait, is... no. There's one other guy, Ralph. I quite liked Ralph. Ralph the crazy guy. Yeah, yeah. he's nice. So R- Ralph the red herring. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's what you were saying, Albert, earlier on as well. He's just one of those kind of, oh, it could be him. <laughs> Although, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if anybody Actually, seriously thought that. Um, this, this one, it's, it's the only that it's one of two. Uh, it, parts of this film where religion is more or less kind of called out because yeah. he said he is a messenger from God and those camp counsellors in the very beginning were singing hallelujah songs and yeah. that's it that's the only two things and I don't know whether that was oh look the crazy guys religious yeah welcome to the 80s well it's so loose as to not be worth mentioning isn't it there's not there's not a religious undertone here at all it's just a pure vengeance story. There's really no undertones at all. No, there's, there's really not. My note about the score was, the score is not subtle. That was it. Notes over. <laughs> it was, is it Henry Man, Manfredi? Sorry. Oh, Harry Manfredi. Sorry. So I was quite intrigued by the score, as you will not be surprised. I expected. <laughs> um, uh, and it's interesting, because it's, it's a proper shift from the scores we've heard up to this point. There is... It's the opposite of what we've seen in other films where it starts off, you know, like in The Omen, that beautiful kind of lyrical score that shifts to that sort of more discordant kind of, um, uh, you know, horror style music. In this film, it's the, yeah, in this film, it's the opposite. It starts with that and actually it ends. So when she's in, in the, um, in the boat at the end on the lake, there's this beautiful kind of lyrical melody, a bit of synth thrown in there because, you know, the 80s. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's almost, and I was thinking, oh, it's quite dreamlike. And lo and behold, it was potentially yeah. a dream. Um, but it's interesting for me that, that 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 and the final score kind of theme are very, very lyrical. So that was interesting to me. But then I could tell straight away that this composer was a classically trained musician um, because it just, absolutely reeks of Igor Stravinsky um, who's you know a Russian composer that was known for like quite um, percussive music so using like string strings as percussion a lot of kind of um, syncopation so offbeat rhythms and literally that opening um, theme I was like oh this is interesting and intriguing 
But what was more interesting for me were the bits where there were no score. And there was a lot of the film where there was yes. no score, where you would expect it. Now, I think, Sean, you, you mentioned something about this earlier when we were talking beforehand. But like there were certain bits, like I noticed, for instance, because um, I had I've written down my jump scares. And one of the first jump scares I had was when a um, female character, whose name I can't remember, was setting up the archery thing. And then suddenly the arrow shoots by. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. That, was, that was like a fright for me. But there was no music. And that was kind of unexpected. Um, so I don't know if that made the, the scare better or worse, actually. Um, but um, yeah, so, so I was quite intrigued by the, um, the score overall. Um, I want to listen to it. It's not something you, could, you would put on to you know, have quietly in the background. Um, so it's a lot more obvious than the scores we've had up to this point, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I think the casting call for the musicians was, can you play the violin? No. Welcome aboard. Um, and it, yeah, the, my, my most interesting thing about the score was, um, that is the composer's voice. Oh, awesome. And that's, that's a, with a delay mic. And there was for a long time, there was like, What's the? What are they actually saying? Like, is it just like? Ch, 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 ch. No, no. It's ki 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 ma 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 to uh, echo, killer mommy, killer. Oh, that's oh, brilliant! I love it. I love, I love it. that. So that, that was that was good. I really liked that. Oh, I love that. That's that's awesome. Once again, the score comes to the rescue. I mean, I, I don't think it's a great score. It didn't it didn't do much for me other than make my ears hurt. Um, but I'm not I'm not the musical one, so I, I do see it as a very layman thing. Um, yeah. It didn't spur me a lot. It was just like, oh, right, I'm, I'm scared. Stop it. You're just being obtrusive. But that's interesting as well, because, like, I suppose, and Albert, you might have to rescue me here, but <laughs> a good composer should be writing for the people who know music and the people who are aware of music. So music as a layman or music as, you know, someone who has qualifications out the wazoo you know should be able to appreciate i feel a score on if not the same level then at least you know kind of in different appreciate, appreciate in the in way that ways. it was meant yeah yeah um and albert please feel free to yeah, say that I, i'm insane here i think um when it comes to scoring for film a great composer will make the score just feel part of it so much so that you almost don't notice it um, I think in this film, possibly the um, the score was more interesting than what was going on on screen. So I got distracted by it. But that you know could be my musical ear, but it could also be that maybe the score was too sophisticated for the film. I think Dare you're I right, it. actually. Yeah, I think you're right. And I would love to watch the film with your brain because you've <laughs> you've made me more. You, the pair of you, have made me more interested in this movie than the movie did. Do, do you want actually? And just. In fairness, while we're doing a circle jerk here, uh, one thing that I have really... <laughs> don't give me that look, Albert. <laughs> uh, one thing that I've really enjoyed as well is that... Uh, so, Albert, you have opened me way more than I thought to the music of film. And I thought I knew film music. And you've really opened my eyes to how... Yeah, you can giggle away uh, to how, how film scores are used. And Ian... Please take this the way this is meant. Oh, brilliant. Go on. How a stupid person doesn't understand you, scores. No, no. You can sometimes bulldoze right to the point. 
And I really have enjoyed that with some of the films because sometimes I've caught myself going like, oh yeah, but you know, this is what they meant and this and this and this. And you're like, yes, but this is what they delivered. And I'm like, you know what? That's fair. There is absolutely fair. Because I think... And I've really enjoyed particularly going through these films with the pair of ye for that. It's too opposite well, into the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, and that's been the general theme of this whole exercise is the conversations have generally been more interesting than films. Um, yeah. Except, except <laughs> for The Exorcist and The Open, maybe. Yes, um, agreed. But, you know, and that's the, that's the joy of, like, um, doing this sort of, sort of friendly analysis afterwards is mm. it does make you kind of appreciate different layers. And people do watch films in different ways. And, you know, for me, the score is absolutely integral to the film experience. For others, they don't even register it. Um so yeah, so it's, it's you know, in the same way that someone who's a trained filmmaker will look at camera angles or, you know, the cinematography element. For me, it's all about the soundscape and, yeah. and um, how that, you know, either adds, detracts or kind of just blends into the film. Um, so yeah, but I, I agree, like, you know, there's times where I've been kind of spouting my musical analysis stuff and you you get Ian just going yeah but I didn't like it and that's fine too you know that's absolutely fine too I love it though honestly I want to do a super edit of all of our conversations mainly your conversations about the scores and the really 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 technical bits and just have that as one episode of the 70s scores in horror is that the bit where it got loud is that that bit (laughs) did they use some kind of violin yeah, they smashed it off a wall. That's a piano, Ian. It's got sh- oh, it's well. got strings. It's fine, but I I appreciate a good score. I do. I just can't technically see like the syncopation and stuff and the time signatures. I absolutely love watching Albert trying to pick out the time signature of something that's really fucked up. Yeah, it's in twenty five fifty. I didn't I didn't think it worked like that. <laughs> well, it doesn't. That's just yeah, it was... too Even I know that. <laughs> Shut up. Um, so, but, what, have... but just one, one final point on that one thing I have learned from this experience is that strings are the the sound of horror you know they're yeah, the absolutely. things that are used most regularly to create that horror vibe um, and you know that was still the case in this and actually there are bits of the score that are blatantly obvious references to Halloween score uh, especially the screechy violins and you know how they come in sort of at that like almost stabbing motion um so it's interesting to see that even the music took cues from from halloween as well as the as well as the film i i actually to completely disagree with you um i <laughs> i feel that this film in a way rips off psycho completely and utterly rips off psycho and the reason i say that's because the famous shower scene um, is that's the reason people are afraid of violence. Yeah. Um, I've done four and it, it is exactly it that in the podcast. And, 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 and that's it. Like, you know, I can't get into a shower these days without going like, <laughs> why is there someone standing in my bathroom? But, Sorry. Um, I didn't say leave. Um, and I feel, because there's also another tie-in with Psycho is that it's a complete role reversal of the main killer in psycho you have the son sharing his own becomes the mother this you have the mother becomes the son and i i wonder you know how much of that was like a hey this film was successful we're gonna do that too which they did with pretty much every other bit of the film um but uh maybe it's because i'm just like oh no 
Halloween's such a better film. It, I don't want to compare we... these two. But, you I mean, you're sorry, you are right. Yeah, it, it is a better film. Um, it So, we haven't actually done a summary. I think most of you should know what, what the film is about by now. It's set at a summer camp um, in the late 50s. Um, a little boy is left to drown because um, he's being bullied and chucked into the lake. Um, his mother, who is the chef... Um, basically goes on a rampage the following year because the counsellors that should have been watching out were busy canoodling um, somewhere um, where they shouldn't have been. Um, and then she kind of prevents the place from being opened for 12 years. They they eventually reopen it, and so she returns and kills everyone. Um, on Sermon Fair. Yeah, exactly. So the film, I'd say probably the first half of the film is just horny teenagers being horny. It's it's very much a teen flick of here's a bit of skin, here's a bit of salaciousness. Does anything happen? <laughs> yeah, Kevin Bacon absolutely butchers a dive into the water. Oh, uh, it's right. I, I am so glad you mentioned. He has got a red belly. Oh my god! I watched it happening. I was just like, that poor man must have been in so much pain. <laughs> it looked really, really cool until it didn't. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I think I, I think the only other thing that was going on was just like here's a red herring and here's a character exactly. who could be later on. Because I was actually convinced it was the the guy who owned the camp, the the guy who went off, went, oh, drove off in his yeah because he, he drove off in his jeep yeah and he disappears yeah. and then you know at a certain point you realise it's not him and then I was like oh maybe it was that weird police officer that came around and you know so actually there's yeah. there's a little bit of that. Um, that might have worked and, better if he hadn't shown the cafe scene, which I don't think adds anything to the story. It's completely it really random. Doesn't, does it? What is, what I think it's. Do? I think it's just. I think it's just there to say it's not him. Yeah, you, know, you thought it was him, and actually, it's not him. Don't take Here seventeen minutes talking. though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so pie in real time. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, the first half of the movie is definitely just a bunch of horny teens and. I found the middle third of the film just went on forever. It did. It lost to, me. I just wanted to kind of... Because the, there's the Annie's death and then there's a long period before anything else happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, in Halloween where everything's packed into those last 10 minutes. No. It's quite it's quite sustained in that last third of the film. Um, but there's definitely pacing issues in the film for me. I mean... Definitely. Time, the middle yeah. third, um, I started doing a bit of research because I knew it didn't kick in. The killing doesn't kick in until a bit later and there's not a lot to grab onto. I, I was doing some research into the cemetery. So Annie gets dropped off at the cemetery and I was like, oh, that's cool. They don't really mention it. So I did a bit of research and I was like, oh, that's awesome. It's an actual cemetery. It's real. So I was like, there's got to be some cool people that were buried here being really morbid. Nope. It is the most mundane cemetery in the entire world. Nothing has ever happened there. A bunch of rich people from Staten Island were buried there. Full of accountants. No one ever did anything. Game over. That's it. So I was like, right, back to the movie then. <laughs> I'm going to find a really I cool think, story here. I, I think, like, was it just location scouting? Like, oh, this is a cool shot, and then... This is a cemetery well, near a summer camp. That's it. Location done. That, actually, it, like, talk about low budget and making your money work um they obviously they filmed at a real summer camp i i'm not going to attempt to pronounce what it was called there's about 19 syllables in it but um the only thing they had to build was the bathroom really? like, everything else was there it was already existing so yeah fair play like clever use of stretching your budget or whatever 
Um, and actually, for me, I have to think about this one. For me, the bathroom has my favorite kill. That axe to the face, I think. Oh, I yes. mean, it's not the. It's not the gore. I mean, I suppose it is gory, kinda, but I just think it was just done really, really well. Not just for the fact that you know you see afterwards her eye is still flicking or something, <laughs> but the shadow of the axe on the wall. I love yeah. it. It's so over the top. It is good. Yeah. Um, uh, this film doesn't hide any of the kills. It shows you machete to the neck, axe to the head. Well, yeah, okay, some of them, but as opposed to Halloween, which he's got a knife to the stomach you know that can easily be hidden this i mean i think oh my favorite one is probably like the slit neck even though you can see the, the one in the in the um, in the forest is it in the forest yeah yeah no, no it is yeah you can see that it's a build-up of uh, it's a prosthetic neck with a blood pouch in it but i think it was still done pretty good it still it, it mm. got me mm. and i was like that that must have been uncomfortable to film See, my favourite one was Bacon in Bed, because I was not expecting the knife up through, which I thought yeah. was very clever. Um, and I was like, oh, he's going to find the body and scream, and then he'll turn around Ooh. and the killer will be there. And I was like, no, actually, the killer's lying underneath him. <laughs> and how have they, uh, you know, has she been there the whole time while they've been bonking in the bed? So, yes. you know, she's got a dead body above and the killer below, and they're sandwiched in the middle. I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. I just... The bed springs just slapping against her face <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> Ow. I, Ow. So, if I wasn't going to kill you before, I'm going to kill you now. I do have a question, and maybe, you know, Sean, with your infinite knowledge on horror movies, you might be able to explain to me. But what was the whole point of the scene with the snake? <laughs> right, oh, thank you. Yeah, okay. I now don't that know. is. That's my biggest problem with the film, and lots of people's biggest problem with the film. One, it's a real snake. Snake. Like oh, you, you, you are really? watching a snake get chopped up on screen, that shit. and um, it was to, it was to basically show. I don't think it succeeds, but it was to show that these kids are capable of facing a threat. Oh, piss! Off. And whether it was budget or whatever, they decided that a snake was the way to do this because that's you see everyone's in the scene, and you know your man. Did you notice this? That your man comes running in the door. Holding the blade of the machete. Yeah. I don't want him on my team. No, you're um, doing it wrong. And but then yeah, so the so they didn't have um any animal rights representative, which you normally would Clearly. on on a film. You normally would have either an animal handler basically. But the snake's owner was there and what? apparently just broke down. So After wait, what, this was this wasn't just a random snake they found. This belonged this was to not somebody. a random snake. This is they had you know someone had. I'm I'm not sure exactly whether it was put an ad of the paper. We need a snake or or however however it worked. But no, this was an owned snake. So I suppose by definition, it was somebody's pet. And Fuck this movie. I was just going to no, say I'm, I'm done. That, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. No. The I, score I, is no, shit. You can't really stand over that. That's like you can't. That's so. I I have a sorry. I had a pet snake for a long, long time. It's actually my parents and it stayed with them. That's shit. Even in the 80s, that's really not on. There are there are better ways to deliver that point that don't involve any animal cruelty. And this doesn't... I Obviously, me and Albert missed the point. It just seems like mm. a random tacked-on scene. Oh, I, I, sorry, I, I'm in 100% agreement with you. The only reason I know that that's the point of the scene is because... You know, I read a note on it, yeah. and I, you know, you have to wonder: mm, is this somebody trying to retroactively give a point to the scene? Because they're obviously 
quite rightfully gonna be oh i might just bollocked i might just delete this entire podcast i don't want to give this movie any more publicity (laughs) well i'll tell you what you're going to enjoy this then right so um famous film reviewer gene siskel um and anyone who's heard this review rub your hands with glee right um he he hated this film so much (laughs) that he did two things one i think you'll really get a uh a good giggle out of and the other one you'll be like dude no (laughs) so the one that you'll get a kick out of is he called sean s cunningham the director one of the most despicable creatures that have ever infiltrated the film infiltrated i love it infiltrated what a good use of words um and cunningham worked with wes craven on last house on the left i mean these are two films that are just like you should not be in charge of filming things. Yeah, I. It's, uh, so let me. Oh, I'm not even going to say that. I was going to say let me guess which bit Cunningham came up with, but I won't. I'll take that off the record. But yeah, it doesn't. No. No. The other. The other thing that this reviewer said that is less cool, like a lot. Uh, <laughs> he hated. He he hated. Uh, so Betsy Palmer played uh, Mrs. Voorhees in this, right? Yeah. And she. You know, she had had a career. Like, you know, she would have been the face in the film. And she gives the best performance, without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> face in the film. <laughs> um, so, he was so upset by the fact that she had done this that he published her address to encourage fans what? to send her mail. Now, it was the wrong address, and I haven't been able to find out if it, that it was deliberately the wrong address. So by all, for all intents and purposes, from what I can see, he literally said to fans, write to this woman and lambast her over the fact that she was in this film. Fuck this movie and, and everyone cool. attached to it. Seriously. Yeah. And what about the poor person that did get all the hate mail? That It wasn't, the, there was the wrong address. It's just, you know, the wrist is nearly broken. I am not. Yeah, it's, please I am not stop, please, please, please. I don't get any of her checks. So why am I getting her hate mail? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man! Um, speaking, sp- yeah. Speaking about other things I didn't like about the movie is I think it's misogynistic. I don't know. It feels like the the female deaths Ooh. are quite lengthy and glorified, and mm. you know, now compared to the I, guys. I agree with you completely. Right, and this is funny because the Victor Miller who wrote it and Sean Cunningham have both come out and said that no, they disagree with that completely. They feel that everybody gets the same. Kind of treat, oh, come on. but if you count, if you rack them up, right? You have, uh, so I, I I don't know if I get all these in order, but you have camp counselor at the start, technically stabbed off screen. Then you have yeah. Claudette, um, freeze frame end of it. But there is promotional material going around of her with a big machete in her neck, right? Jesus. So then you have but next thing you have on, on that one. Sorry, she hangs. Yeah. He just gets a straight away stabbing and go. There's a creep towards her. That that death is elongated. She is yeah. She's faced with the torture yes. of her own death. Like is yeah, impending. Absolutely. Yeah. I taught you yeah, again. So strike one on the misogyny scale. Mm. Uh, then you have Annie's. Just I mean, Dead that whole she scene, the, the throat slit. Strike two. Yeah. Um. So Kevin Bacon, it's instant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good. It's a good scene. It's a good effect. Um. And by all apparently, it was incredibly uncomfortable for just everybody involved, like physically uncomfortable, because he was, you know, under the bed and he was, you know, stuck up through the the pillow, and there was a big 
latex thing and Tom Savini was under there because they had to get the blood out and somebody else was under there to play the hand of uh, oh that's awesome so yeah but then you have I think it's Ned goes into a cabin you don't see him die you see his body but that's it yeah um, you have then uh, the guy with the archery sorry. arrows through him that's it that's the greatest name Tommy Timmy um, Danny Jimmy sure um, whereas what do you have you have Brenda okay you don't see Brenda die but you do see her get oh, sorry Brenda is her body she's the last time you see her alive it's the archery course um, and then her body is thrown through the window yeah. um, which is well, just like sorry, it's, it's one of the right gaffes of the film it's like what happened to her yeah you know was she did they shoot arrows at her if so but you know why were we supposed to laugh at her entrance in inverted commas because I did it was just like oh, ragdolled through no, the window did I absolutely <laughs> Um, that and, and then, that that and also the dead body obstacle course at the end, where they just start falling. Yes, I love that so much. Like... I love it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like um oh flip it, sorry the Simpsons um oh the clown from the Simpsons not Krusty, Krusty. the evil one yeah. the evil clown oh sideshow it's sideshow Bob hitting the rakes it's, like, rrr, rrr, it's dead body <laughs> dead body dead body. Uh, what were you well, saying, John? <laughs> no, no, like I, did, I just, no, I pretty much finished it there, but it's just like, lads, you can claim all you like that it's not misogynistic, but you made a deliberate choice. Whether it was in the editing room, they say that they never filmed uh, your uh, Brenda through the window. They say they never filmed her death scene, right? Which would have been her being pumped full of arrows. Yeah. Um, but you did film the act. No, it's my favorite kill. But you did film the axe to the face, which yeah, is yeah. gruesome. You, I suppose you could argue that um, arrow guy against the door. I don't know the character's name. The actor is Harry Crosby, son of Bing Crosby. Interesting. What a yes, odd, odd choice for him. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, screw you, Dad. I'm going to make my own. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be. I'm going to make it big. Yeah, I really. Tell me another Harry Crosby film. Oh. Anyway. So, <laughs> um, other things I don't like about this film. The title. Is it just because Friday the 13th is bad luck? And it, yes. it hadn't been taken yet? Y- yes, absolutely. Excellent. In fact, they 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 come up with the title before they came up with the film. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm literally peeking behind the curtain. They came up with the title before they came up with the film. And what they did is, is the, in fairness to them... Um, Albert, in a way, you mentioned earlier on about the difference between marketing and advertising. This is probably the cleverest thing they did for marketing because no other thought went into it. Is That opening shot where you see Friday the 13th comes smashing through your television screen or whatever. Yeah, great. They po- he, he took out a full page ad in, I think it was Variety, and he published that image. No script, nothing else written. That image got them their financial backing for this film. Jesus Christ. And, but doesn't that sum it up? This is absolutely a movie that had a title and then a film. Like, sometimes you come up with a cool title and think, there's a story there. This manages mm. to do it, but have nothing to do with the title. Like, that's that's impressive. That's, I think there's one throwaway line, oh, it's a full moon and it's Friday the 13th. Yeah, on, uh, on the radio. Yeah, but that's it. it. Like, it's right pure. I think they had got to the end of it and they were like, oh, guys, we haven't actually mentioned 100%. Friday the 13th at all. It, it doesn't... I don't know if it comes into it later on in the series, but, yeah, that just it bugs me. Bugs me, bugs also, me, bugs me. Uh, also, another plot hole for me was, as you mentioned, the, the kind of full moon Friday the 13th conversation between 
the guy who owns the camp and the police officer. Like, he was dropped off at the end, I assume near the camp. We never see him again, do we? Yeah, fine. Um, which fella now? The, um... <laughs> the the guy who owns the camp, who disappears for the... The dice. No, he is, he is, uh, he is killed. Um, and uh, I did thought I it's another that? one of those where... Yeah, I missed that too. Quite frankly, you could have fallen asleep. There wasn't really a whole lot going on at the time. Uh, the ca- camera zooms in. It's exactly the same kill as the, the male counsellor at the start. Camera zooms in, knife to the gut, camera pulls, but Annie, Annie said, but that's it. Like, that's, Is that in the director's okay. cut? Because I missed that entirely. I definitely missed that. That's that's how much of a... Brilliant. Ah, you cared about this character then. I did have a note that said, is Topless Guy supposed to be the killer? Or are we supposed to think that? Which, yeah, obviously we mentioned yeah. that earlier. It's obvious That is his function, and that is it. Yeah. Like, is there like a subtext of a romance between him and the woman that was already at the camp? Alice, yeah. It's kind of yep. like, yeah, give me give me another chance. Give me a week and you'll love it while I'm st- stood here topless. <laughs> and she goes, I'm not sure, Mr. Christie. Yeah, let's distance. Let's it's, put some distance it, in here. Yeah. The, the only thing actually about that scene is it's nothing to do with the plot, really. He goes through her drawings. Adrian King is an artist. And they were just like, cool. There you go. Your backstory is you're an artist. Yeah, great. Um, Grant. Yeah, this, this film is filler and jump scares. Um, so on that note, what were your jump scares, Albert? So my jump scares were um, throat slit in the woods. So Annie, because I thought she was sort of being set up as the main character. So that was yeah. you know a bit of a surprise, I have to admit. Um, the one I mentioned earlier was the arrow. Um, the one that was in the middle of the day, the, yeah. the two teenagers, Thud. and he shot the arrow. Um, bacon in bed getting his throat um, impaled <laughs> I thought you were uh, going to say like getting his rocks off that was the jump scare I was like oh put it away no <laughs> um, go on to Kevin <laughs> uh, and then the other one was the obvious one at the end which I was not expecting was when Jason pops out of the water and I yeah. usually I, I was watching this on my iPad with my headphones in my other half was watching telly and I literally levitated three feet off yes. the, the sofa, and I was like, ah! <laughs> "So that was a, that that was that was by far the best scare of any movie I've watched." Uh, I wish we'd been there for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That, yeah. It's a brilliant one it, because, like you said, it's got the dreamy music. And after watching seventies films, we're almost conditioned to say that is it. That's the end of the film. But. I think Nightmare on Elm Street does it quite a bit as well of dreamy, dreamy, dreamy music. Freddy comes out from under the bed and stabs everyone. Um, mm. It's it's so horror. The form of Jason is so horrifying um, to just come out and he doesn't even really grab her. He just kind of like, like a flounder just goes, blah, just kind of falls on her. Well, it's interesting. I panicked so much. I completely missed what happened or what he looked like or anything like that. And oh yeah, know, he's so- hideous. Yeah, yeah, he's he, so he, he's, he's deformed as well as I think he's supposed to be. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Decomposed as yeah. well as physically deformed. Any anyway, right. when he was alive, slash. So that and that bit of the film, I love it. It is the best jump scare. However, it doesn't make a damn bit of sense because there's nothing supernatural in this film at all. But now, what the film is telling you is that he's been at the bottom of the lake 
all this time. Now, later films go on to explain a bit more, but in the context of this film, it's just, yeah, he's been under there for 12 years and now he's going to get you. Doesn't make a damn bit of sense. I think this is not, it doesn't make it okay, but I think they try and almost sell it as, no, 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 she just had a nightmare at the end. We just kind of had to have a last scare in. But because then the sequel's double, triple, quadrupled down on it, it does, it's just like, it sort of retroactively makes it worse. Yeah, it does, definitely. It's it's a, it's the close-up of her, on her in the in the hospital bed, and she's like, that means she's he's still out there. So, and then yeah. she goes translucent, and you just see the still leg. Yeah. Which, well, I was kind of like, so hang on. If she was dreaming, then how does she know he's still there? And also, if he's dead, and the mother knows he's dead, did she not make any attempt to retrieve the body? So Clearly. Yeah, you know, I have I have lots of questions which may or may not be answered by future films, but um, yeah, well, for me that why, I... why, why the scare was brilliant, it didn't make an iota yeah. of sense at all. No. You're absolutely right. Isn't it just kind of standard, um, stand, standard form to you drag a lake? Like if you know somebody has drowned in the lake, you drag it for the body. Oh Is yeah, of course you do. Like absolutely, done thing. Yeah. And it is explained in two. Now, I don't want to... I, oh, okay. I want to do a quick... Ex- not a quick explanation. A quick kind of overview of where the rest of the franchise goes. But actually, I don't know if I do now, because, Albert, do you seriously feel like you're going to want to watch the others? Um, I <laughs> there mean, is a lot of them. Just just tell me he doesn't turn in... He isn't like a fish mutant type thing, is he? Worse. Well, he's not uh, a fish mutant. So, do you... Just, just tell we, me, it's fine. Okay, just so tell me. There are... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There are twelve Jason films in total. Friday the Thirteenth films. Two of them have final in the title, so oh, no, the final yeah. Friday and the final chapter. So that tells you a lot about. And neither of them come at the end of the franchise at all. <laughs> not not even close. Wow. Um. So super super because this is the bit I really love. I did this with Amityville as well. So two still has Alice in it. Um, and basically you find out that Jason has been living in a cabin um, near the campsite for this entire time but he's kind of used to the water so he can, this is why he can kind of survive underwater a little bit and then attack, he hasn't been there the whole time he's been living in a cabin Um, I won't tell you anything more on that part 3, he kills more people The, the final chapter he kills more people and dies at the end that's it, he's done now, Friday the Thirteenth Four, the final, the sorry, a new, be- sorry, Friday the Thirteenth Five, a new beginning. He's buried. He's this dead. Is Corey Feldman's in this, Correct, one, isn't he? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's buried. He's dead. They dig him up, stab him a bit more. As they stab him, a bolt of lightning connects with the knife. Yep, Albert's face, and reignites his soul. So he's now he's running on electricity. He's now Frankenstein's monster. So awesome. So they get Friday part five. You're being chased by the energizer. <laughs> you lit. You are. Um, so this is where the rule book goes out the window. It's just, this is now supernatural. This is it. Um, so he gets another film out of that. He gets killed again and then struck by lightning again and comes back. Um, then then he's in. Then he goes to New York. Then he goes to space. And then he has a couple of films with... Freddy he Krueger. goes to space. <laughs> oh, he goes to sorry, space. Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, Freddy X, um, he, he goes to space. Jason, Jason X, sorry. J- Jason X J- goes Jason. to space. Uh, um, yeah, 
It, There's yeah. one as well where <laughs> I think he's possessing people. I can't. Re- I can't remember if it's copycat right. killer oh, or if he's sorry, possessing sorry, sorry. people. I don't know which one this is, but I think it's the yeah, it's the new blood. So this is where Jason has been revived and he's running on lightning. There is a girl that has telekinetic powers. I shit you not. So her parents have died because she accidentally killed them using her powers in an outrage. She gets sent to Xavier School for gifted chips. Sorry, wrong film. Um, she gets sent to summer camp, Is it and then they have a face-off, um, and she tries to kill Jason with her mind powers, but Jason's too strong um, and wins. Aces, so that's cool. Um, yeah, and then the other, he goes to New York, and he lives in the sewers now, and he's terrorising the inhabitants of Manhattan. Um, For a surprisingly yeah. short time, it's like it's, Jason takes Manhattan, and he th- I think he spends a grand total of 15 minutes at the end of the yeah. film make, in Manhattan. And it was all to do with, obviously, you know, permissions, whatever. Uh, but however, one of the best kills of the entire franchise is in that movie, because um, a gang member uh, squares up to him, and this guy's a really good boxer, and he's there, you know, trying to, you know, beat the crap out of Jason, and he tires himself out to the point where he's like, Go on, take your best shot. Jason punches his head off. <laughs> just one punch. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's like, <laughs> and just literally, woo 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 woo, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. That's I immense. mean, if I if I if I was to grab a cushion now and draw a smiley face on it, it was a more realistic head. That's awesome. It's just uh, it doesn't to to its credit, it doesn't try to be subtle at all it doesn't try to be subtle about the 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 supernatural like michael myers it's not so sorry it is supernatural there's no oh my god how did he survive that it is we're just breaking the rules now it doesn't matter Um, so it's it's the fast and furious of horror movies you you are not wrong at all they are now all superhuman dead right yeah yeah yeah, that's the only way and i'm pretty I'm, i'm and I'm pretty sure the next Fast movie goes into space as well, so... Well, it's been the running gag, isn't it? That's the only thing that they can do next. And they will all be holding their breath in space as well. It's, wor- it's worth saying that I actually worked on two of the Fast films and absolutely loved them. <laughs> and we used to joke in the studio, kind of going, ooh, the next one will be all set underwater, or they will have to <laughs> drive a car into a volcano. And yeah, then the scripts would then the scripts would come in and we were like... They do what? They're gonna be on. They're gonna be on a runway in Spain for half of the film, and they don't run out of runway. What's that about? Yeah. So it's um, it feels the like script it's comes in, to that. and it's more ridiculous than what you could have guessed. It's like, well, nobody got this one. Sorry. So exactly. What, what I love about the the telekinetic girl is um, that was a last minute rewrite, so they couldn't get the rights to have Freddy. So Freddy was going to be in, I think it was movie six or seven, but they couldn't get the right. So it was like, right, what do we do? That's really quick. Right, telekinetic girl. What? Wait, what? That's not quick. That's that's the opposite of quick. That's so complicated. You, you're breaking so many rules now. So it wasn't until the, the, the last two, sorry, the last second to last Friday film um, that I actually managed to get Freddy versus Jason. Um, Is that, there's, there's the one as well, because it's, I mean, I think as far as I know, the film's a piece of shit, but it's got a good ending where it's Jason goes to hell, I think, and the very last shot, it's just it's just the mask sitting on some dirt, and then out of nowhere, the razor claws come up, grab the mask, and pull it down, and but that's it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Because I think they were both, they certainly ended up both owned by New Line Cinema. Um, yeah. I know Friday, cause the, the Telltale Paramount Mountain was at the start of it, um, so Jason so, goes to hell colon the, 
the final Friday. Um, that's 1993. Wow. Then there's Jason in Space. Um, it's 2002. And then Freddy versus Jason the following year. So I, I think the 2002 Jason is almost not canon because it, it's set in the future, isn't it? It's 2030 or something like that. Or, no, is Did it you just use the C word on the Jason franchise? Yeah, I, you know what I mean. It's it, it's a bit of fun. Like, shut up! Don't can don't <laughs> cancel me now. Um, there there are things to cancel me for. That's not one of them. Um, Fair. Yeah. Then Freddy versus Jason, I think, runs kind of parallel. Um, but yeah, it's I'm, I'm talking about films I haven't seen, but I think I I feel like I have now seen them. <laughs> Yeah, there's a a, a fantastic um, series on YouTube where um, I'll I'll put a link in the description. But basically, uh, they break down each film and go through the bits. And I mean, there is a lot of interesting things going on behind the scenes, but not a lot of them added up to interesting films. Yeah, got it. You know, some of them really seem like oh. Okay, idea. Let, let's take, for example, the one where you have the knife in Jason's body that gets struck by lightning. You're like, okay, that's... All right, well, we've got to, you know, whatever. Got to do something. You know, Friday 22, we have to do something interesting. Great. Oh, no, he's just back and kills people again. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. okay let's, let's stick to what we know. It's all good. Uh, I was trying to work out how many of these actually came out on um, Friday the 13th, and I think a fair few of them actually did. Um, I mean, even that's a bit of a lazy choice from modest from a marketing perspective. But you know, if you can turn them out and people keep turning up, why wouldn't you do them? Yeah, absolutely. It. It's basically horror sequels are just money laundering, but legal. Yeah, yeah. No, they really are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it looks like one, two, three, four, five. Five of them came out on a Friday the Thirteenth. Most notably, not the first film. It came out May the ninth. <laughs> Didn't even try at all. There must have not been a Friday the 13th that year. <laughs> that is gas. That is brilliant. Um, right, well, the most most fun I had talking about was Albert's time in the Fast and Furious movies. Um, is, is there anything else that we want to want to get off our chests about, what, um, about the Friday the 13th? Go for it, Sean. It's my last thing, and you'll both get a kick out of this, right? So... Uh, in the, the spate of the horror remakes that were going on, the Platinum Dunes remakes, well, they did everything, that Friday the 13th was, of course, remade. Um, and it's decent. It's actually, I have to say, it, it's quite good. Um, but the part of Mrs. Voorhees was, of course, recast, because I think after a while, Betsy Palmer just said, you can take your series and shove it up your... Yeah. Um, but, uh, for example, she... The character she was still alive when Freddy vs. Jason was made, but she didn't come back for that. Um, right. Nana Visitor played Mrs. <gasps> Voorhees ow. in Friday the 13th. The I am now watching that film. I will do that this evening. I wish I'd accidentally watched that film instead of this one, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it came out in 2009. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you want to... It's okay, it's decent. If you want to have a chuckle, then just read through anybody that's done an article on... The potted history of Friday the 13th because you can't write it without tripping over yourself and kind of every other paragraph going, now bear with me now, now hang on a second stay with me now <laughs> no, I know it doesn't make sense alright, break for lunch and we'll discuss in, a, in 15. Yeah, great, and then we go into space, no no no, really 
Oh, I love it. Right, uh, Albert, any any closing thoughts? Um, Good. Not really, just that. <laughs> ju- just that I finally got the gore and sort of graphic violence I have been expecting for the last um, three weeks that I've been doing this with you guys. Um, not saying I enjoyed it, but um, yeah. I appreciated that we finally got there. So that definitely signaled the start of the 80s. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it was watchable. Um, it doesn't make any sense. As long as you sort of suspend belief, then, you know, you can sort of enjoy it. Um, but I can see how it's, you know, spawned a very long-lived and peculiar franchise of movies. Um Indeed. And I kind of just want to watch Jason in space now. Should we do that? Should we make Jason X let's... the first film that we watch next year? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh, do it was my first Jason film. I ever <laughs> That's saw, so and wrong. I've never forgotten it. It's awesome. We like we need to do a month of deliberately bad, bad horror films. Like not boring ones, but really bad. So you said that about the gore in the film. Did any of it take you out of the movie and make you think, well, that just looks ridiculous? Because it, it did for me, even with me being generous and saying, fine, it's the 80s and at least they're trying, it yeah. still took me out of the movie. The the axe to the head did look a little bit fake, um, but it was still very, <laughs> considering the time it was released, it was probably yeah. quite realistic. I thought the beheading at the end was actually quite successfully done and... That was yeah. definitely a, 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 a screaming one because you get the kind of... But what wasn't good was that the hand's still going for about <laughs> 10 minutes after the head went, which, you know, might be anatomically correct. I don't know, but um, that just felt a little odd. I mean, it looks good, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, that's the one that didn't take me out of the film and it's the most drastic, but I, I kind of bought that. I was like, because they don't really... Yeah. They don't show you a model head on the floor going... Ah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the close up is on the headless body with the hands going up to kind of find where yeah. the head is. <laughs> and that's my final plot hole with this film. Sorry, my last point on this film. How did the police know that the lone survivor, the final girl, wasn't the murderer? Where is the evidence to say that Mrs. Voorhees was the murderer? That is an amazing. Ah, uh, sure. Listen, point. how many? But you I mean you're not wrong. But how many films rely on the police? Just taking you at your word. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a brilliant point. There is, I mean, forensics wasn't that good back then. I, I would absolutely be like, yeah, no, you did this. So you're blaming this on a a, a lad that's buried at the bottom of the lake and his mum. Yeah, we're not buying it. You're going to jail. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever she she did to those, you beheaded her. So you were definitely the most You've, you've definitely killed violent. one person here. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the only murder we can confirm is that one. And she's just a nice housewife that lives down the road. You're, you're insane. <laughs> Everyone likes Mrs. Voorhees. Exactly. She makes the best brownies. Yeah. Oh, she's a whiz with a carving knife. Oh, dear. Right, cool. That's that movie done. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, we, we, got, we got more out of that than I thought we would. Once again, we've proven that talking about a film can often be more enjoyable than the film we watched itself. Right. Albert, where can, if people don't already know, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on the interwebs at Albert Hogan on Twitter. Brilliant. Cool. Um, so you find us at English Irish GTM. Everything else is, is coming in a second. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you in a few days. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to An Englishman and an Irishman Go to the Movies. I, at least, would love to hear your thoughts on the episode. Sean couldn't care enough to record this with me. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at English Irish GTM. 
email us at an Englishman and an Irishman at gmail.com and check out our website www.anenglishmanandanirishman.wordpress.com where you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find me on Twitter at galactic underscore Dave and you'll find Sean at Sean Ferrick. Thanks for being awesome and we love you very much. Yeah, I, I like Jason Voorhees and I like... <laughs> Are we pausing or carrying on? I can just move on the for podcast. This bit. Alexis, shut up. <laughs> Alexis, coming for you. Oh, yes, yes, the, 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 the lovely Gus is making a cameo on this Again. on this recording so we far. Love so, we love Gus. Ian, you're editing this one. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Totally just remembered I never put the fucking plugs in the credits uh, for the album. Oh, for fuck's sake, Sean. Um, just let me do the editing then, knobhead. Fine, fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Yeah. What I think that. I think that's the title. I think that's the title, isn't it? Let me do the editing knobhead. That should be our podcast title moving forward.